Let me begin by saying this is not my resignation speech. I say that because I, I want to begin by saying how much I am thankful to God for you, and I don't want you to think that, that that's my way of resigning. Because whenever I thank God for you, I'm ready to walk out the door. So, let me say it. I'm thankful to God for you. I'm regularly thanking God for each of you by name. Um, and for allowing me and my family to join with you and ministering with you and to you and to the city of Royal Oak. And I count it a great privilege to serve as your pastor. When I think back on the last six and a half years, I think of specific people who have been and are an encouragement to me personally. Uh, Especially at times when I was unsure of my ability and my calling when I was unsure of whether um, the preaching that I was doing was worth my study time, when I was unsure whether I had the tools to be a pastor at all, several of you have been a Barnabas to me, and I I want to thank you for that. And obviously, uh, not just to me, but to my family as well. And So I appreciate that very much. I can't imagine what life in this church would be like without, without each one of you. And so I'm thankful for your attendance as well. One of the best ways that you can encourage me and you can encourage other people in this congregation is simply by being here. And uh, that may not sound like a lot, but, but I know that many of you um, are committed to doing that. And even when you are busy or when it's not convenient to do so, um, that means a lot to me. That means a lot to other believers who are serious about, about this church that you make this church a priority. And I'm thankful that you have allowed me to focus the majority of my time on preaching and praying, which I believe are my two primary responsibilities. Um, You have not overloaded me with expectations of programs and events so that I'm pulled away from the one needful thing as your pastor, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus and feed on the Word so um, so that I can present the Word to you and allow you to feed on that same Word and lead you in, in feeding on it. I'm thankful that you've been patient with me and my family and have not overwhelmed us with expectations um, that are beyond what God has called us to do. When you hired me, I hope you recognize you did not hire Jennifer and the kids. And if you did, they're still waiting for a paycheck. Okay? Um, so take that as a joke. I'm not asking that they get paid in any way. I'm simply saying that, that there are many churches who see the pastor's family as like a family hire. And they are not much different than you are in that their responsibility is going to be very similar to, to yours, which is to have a, have a relationship with your family, build up your family at home, and also serve in whatever capacity the Lord has, has gifted you in this church. And that's what I, um, you know, Jennifer and I believe very strongly about that, that that is her primary role, not to be, you know... Um, the pastor or associate or something, uh, that in no way is her position. And so, um, so I, I appreciate her very much and, and you allowing her to do the responsibilities that God has called her to do. Um, so so I, I wanted to start by saying that because I think it's important that you understand that, that this is not a drudgery for me. It is certainly, uh, there, there certainly are times where it, it's difficult, uh, but... but but for the most part, 
And as I look back on these six and a half years, I'm thankful to God for, for you and for this church. Well, tonight I want to talk about where our church has been, where we are now, and where I think we need to be. And so let me invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because I think we as a church should have, and I, I don't any, think anyone would agree, that the long-term goal of Ambassador Baptist Church is to be a healthy church. And what I'm going to argue or suggest to you on the basis of this passage and, and others is that in order for us to be a healthy church, we need to be a church that is unified together around the Word of God and planting other churches. That is, that, that we are driving towards that position position where we can plant another church. And and that's a desire that we should have where we are sending a leader or leaders out from our church along with perhaps several families from our church that can plant a church nearby to an area that needs the gospel. And you might be thinking, well, it's way too high of an expectation. For us, this little Ambassador Baptist Church to, to, to be a church planting church, and, and let me show you three reasons why I think that. First, an appeal from the Scripture. This is the strongest argument, obviously. Uh, an appeal from the Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-10. Let me read this passage for us. This is the Word of God. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the Word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescued us from the wrath to come. So, I'm suggesting that that we ought to have as a goal to plant a church. And my basis for that is from this passage. This is the kind of impact that our ministry ought to have. There are three characteristics of the, the ministry of the Thessalonians here. First, in verse 6, they received the word. You see that in the text? That they became imitators of us. That's Paul and, the, and some of the other leaders that were, were teaching them. They, they receive, and, and having received the word in much tribulation and joy. So they received the word. This is something I think you here do well and that our church does well, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But notice this next one. It's a commitment to proclaim the word of God in verses 7 and 8. So that you became an example. Let's see. Make sure I... Okay. I'll uh, give you a couple points there. Um, verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in the surrounding area, Macedonia and Achaia, and the word of God has, notice verse 8, sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. That is, that the Thessalonian church was an example of a church that was a sounding board, right? Notice what the word of God does. It sounded forth, verse 8, from you. That, that this place... Thessalonica, this church in Thessalonica became a sounding board from which the gospel would spread so that there were other cities that apparently were having churches being planted. And so I think it's God's will for for our church to reproduce itself in 
the regions around us. And there are several other reasons from the rest of Scripture that I think are not too hard to see. You look in the pattern of Acts that that when the gospel started out, when the church started, I should say, and Acts 2, it wasn't very long before the church reproduced itself, didn't it? It wouldn't have been enough for the church just to start there and end there because the gospel was not meant to stay in one place. Now, it should take root in one place, but it should spring forth from there. It should be a sounding board so that it can reach other places. And I think if, if we thought about it, you know, sometimes the way that we think about churches, well, we'll leave that church planning stuff to the bigger churches and we'll help out where we can. But what, what if every church thought like that? That, you know, we'll just leave that to another church. How is the gospel going to be spread to more and more churches? And so Matthew 28, um, I think, implies that, that there should be churches planted, not just a church that just takes in the gospel, absorbs the gospel, learns to live the gospel without spreading the gospel, without reaching out to other places and strategically planting other churches. Um, and, and, you know, once we lose sight of this, then we, we start to become more and more ingrown and we start to become more and more um, concerned about taking care of our own felt needs. Because we don't have this goal of trying to reach out to other areas and, and specifically to, to our area. I hope you realize that, that every church is potentially only one generation away from being extinct. That, that there is no church that has existed since the first century. Right? So, so it's only a matter of time. You, you just... You go from the book of Acts to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you have a couple of churches there that are on the brink of extinction, aren't they? Because like Ephesus, this great work that had been started, had these elders that Paul was encouraging in Acts 20. You go to Revelation 2, and, and, and what does Jesus say to them? I have my eye on you, because you've lost your first love. And that church no longer exists. And, and so it's a very real possibility that our church could, could dissolve at some point. And the only way that it's going to continue, that it's going to, 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 um, to, to, to continue on is if we hold our ground, if we stand fast in the, in the faith. And I think that, that we have a better goal than, than what we currently have. I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute that we need to look to perpetuate the gospel. And, and the reason that I, I think we, that we don't see the mission of the church in this way is, one, I think sometimes we, we, we take the Great Commission as a personal commission. Like you go, you individually go and make disciples of all nations. But you, you do realize that no individual can fulfill the Great Commission on their own. Do you know why? Because no individual has the authority to baptize. That's, an, that's a responsibility or an ordinance of what? Of a church. And so that's actually a commission that Jesus gave not to individuals, I need to fulfill the Great Commission, but, but to a church. And so what we do is we go and we do our individual evangelism, individual, and, and we shouldn't stop that, but we shouldn't recognize that we've fulfilled the Great Commission when we've done that. Instead, we need to recognize that what God is doing
doing through Christ and through the Spirit is, is reaching more and more places by planting churches through churches like ours. And I think because of this individualistic mentality, um, we have moved toward a, and I, when I say we, I'm talking about churches in general, churches like ours, including ours probably, that we have catered to ourselves and have adopted an outsource mentality. What I mean by that is, you know, we have someone, if we need someone to preach at our church, we'll pay someone to do that, right? And I think rightfully so, we have warrant from the scripture for us to pay the pastor, right, that a laborer is worthy of his wages, okay? But, but we, we need someone to preach and, and lead the church, then we pay someone to do that. We need someone to be a custodian, we pay someone to do that. We need someone to do missions work overseas, we'll pay somebody to do that. And, and I don't want to minimize any of those things, but I think that, that when it comes to planting churches, we think, well, we've kind of given other people that responsibility, so why don't we have another church take care of the church planting part, and we'll throw a couple bucks their way. Okay, I'm, I'm, kind, of, um, I'm kind of marginalizing a little bit what we can do, um, but, but I hope you're getting the point here. That, that I think we have a responsibility to do that, not to pass that off to someone else. So what if God called us to be church planners? And I think he did, verses 7 and 8, that the, the gospel has sounded out from you. This is why they're exemplary. That, this is why they're example, an example to other churches. Because the gospel sounded out from them. Do you realize that, that we... You and I are recipients of the gospel. And, and what would happen if, if other people thought, perhaps like we're thinking and maybe other churches like ours are thinking, that you know the gospel is going to be just for our church and maybe the few people we know. We're not worried about reaching other areas. If that happened, this church wouldn't have started and some of us would not have received the gospel perhaps. And, and I think, as a church, we have to be careful about thinking that we have arrived. So let's, let's just take our church when it first started. You know, when they first started, there was a sense of uncertainty about what would happen. Are we going to be able to pay for this building? Are we going to have enough people to come and, and help contribute to the work? And then, eventually, the building was here. And eventually, in the 70s, 80s, the building finally was paid for. And then what? It's like, well, we've already, we've already done what we needed to do. We established a church, and that's good. And we have the building. We have no debt. Praise God for that. And so, what do we have left? And I would suggest to you what we have left is that, that we always should be having the mindset of being a church planting type of church. A, a church that's willing to to take risks for God in order to plant a church nearby. So, a commitment to proclaim the Word of God. And then, in verses 9 and 10, we see a commitment to live the Word of God, that, that these believers were an example of genuine com- conversion. So, first, an appeal from, from the Scriptures. Second, I guess I don't have any there for you, so just have to follow on. Second, an appeal for church planning from our history. Okay, so let's take... Let's go back to 1943. This church was four years old. 
and not 77 years old like we're coming up on in April. What kind of mindset do you think we would have as a four-year-old church? Wouldn't we be thinking, you know, we need to reach more people? Or would we be okay with the status quo? You know, 11 people, that's, that's enough. 15 people, I'm not sure what the attendance was at that time. Or would we be healthily dissatisfied with the, the position and the progress of our church? Would we be praying and working towards reaching more people for us to disciple? So what I'm talking about here is having a goal of actually progressing in what God is calling, to do, calling us to do rather than a goal of not dying. Now, I hope you recognize that a goal of not dying is a good goal for a short period of time, right? I hope, you know, we, we get into a, a desperate, life-threatening physical situation. We should have a goal of not dying, and amazingly, our bodies are constantly fighting to live. But if that's the goal for the rest of our life, how good of quality of life will we have? I mean, will our, our health be very strong or will it be kind of poor because we're just doing enough to not die? Instead of seeking to thrive with exceptional health. And so this is confession time here for me. Because I would suggest to you that during the time that I've been here as your pastor, I've led our church in, in that way. That is, not dying. And we've had some pretty delicate times. We've had some people who are a big part of our church leave. And as we'll see this evening, we, we have seen our income decline. And, and I take responsibility for not properly casting a biblical vision for where we need to go and, and for how we need to get there. But I'm suggesting to you now that, that if we continue to exist with that kind of mindset of not dying, then it will be only a matter of time before we close the doors for the last time. So an appeal from our history. And then thirdly, an appeal from how our missionaries plant churches. So let me show you another reason why I think we have a wrong mindset of not seeking to plant churches. Think about the expectations that we have for our missionaries. I mean, are we satisfied with a missionary who plants a church, uh, plants a church and then just stays in that church for the rest of his ministry? We just keep funding him so that he can continue to sustain his current ministry. And in a sense, yes, it's good that believers are being built up and that, that people are being reached for the gospel, but you know that's not ultimately what missions is. Missions is about fulfilling the Great Commissions, which means establishing a, a basis for church planting churches. That we want Him to go there, establish a church by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit that will go and plant other churches. And that's why we love ministries like Dan Cuthbertson and, and, and Archie Perez. You know, a number of other of our missionaries are doing that very thing. We love that kind of ministry because that is the Great Commission. That's at the very center of what God has called us to do through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at our missionaries, we, we love when they do that. But for some reason in the U.S., we have 
thought it was okay to just hang on to what we have. And I think part of that is because we think that in some ways our church is maybe oversaturated with churches. And I think, you know, if you were to, to, to uh, do a survey of some areas in the country, some specific cities, there may be an oversaturation, oversaturation of God-honoring churches. But, but do you really think that's the case around here? Let me see if... Okay, here's, here's a map with a five-mile radius around our church. Okay, so we know of a God-honoring church. Kind of hard to see, but, but there's 14 in Ryan. No, that's, that's not Ryan. Ryan's right here. Hey, that's First of Sterling Heights. You got First of Troy up here. And you got Grace of Birmingham over here. But, but what about a God-honoring church in Ferndale? Or Oak Park? Or Southfield? Or Huntington Woods? Or Berkeley? And to be honest, I, there may be a few, but I can't think of any. And I think we need more. Now you might say, well, wait a second, I'm driving from farther away than five miles, so what's the big deal? Well, uh, the nature of our culture is that they're typically not going to be as committed to church as you are. Okay? Especially right away. We need people that, we need a church that's in a locale that can reach out to people who, who, who understand, this church understands what's going on in the neighborhood and knows how to reach these places. So think of it this way. Imagine that we were American church planting missionaries from First Baptist Church of Anytown, USA, and our job was to plant a church in Royal Oak that would be indigenous and healthy. And we started this work four years ago, and we had a report back on... On our, uh, to our sending church of how we were doing, what do you think that report would look like? And do you think that our sending church would be satisfied with our progress? And, and then let's just take it out a step here. Do you think our, our Savior who commissioned us would be happy with our progress? Would He be happy that, that we're not really taking steps toward that goal of seeking to grow to a place where we can be a church planning church. So, let me speak very plainly. Um, there's a point before that. It's actually where we are. Then we'll get to why, why we are where we are. But where we are, I would suggest or submit to you that the state of our church is not strong. That, that we are not where we need to be. Now, let me say what I don't mean by that. I do not mean that there's no work of God here at all. Certainly there is. And I do not mean that, that we have to be a certain number of people in order for the work of God to be in this place. As I've mentioned before, the size of a church is no more an indication of spiritual health than the size of a person is an indication of physical health, right? So, so that's not necessarily the, the test. But the smallness of a church could be an indication of malnutrition, just like it could be the smallness of a person could be an indication of poor health, right? So sometimes you might think, well, we're small. We're not big like those prosperity gospel churches and those seeker-sensitive churches, and so we're, we're okay. We, we got it down. And, and I would suggest to you that that's not the best way to measure spiritual health. 
So if I went to Africa and found some kids in Ethiopia and I, I was a doctor and I saw several patients and you know, all their vitals checked out, but they were just, you could see them, skin and bones. And these patients were dying and I couldn't figure it out. You know, all their vitals are checking. Another doctor comes along and says, listen, what are you doing? You can see their bones. They need food. You know, they're not healthy. And the point is that while the size of a person and the size of the church are not the best indicators of health, they certainly can point to the health or lack thereof. So let me just ask this question. Could the smallness of our church indicate malnutrition on our part? Could, could it indicate that we haven't developed some of our motor skills in recent years? Now, we're going on 77 years of ministry in April, and for a church that old, are we where we should be in terms of fulfilling the Great Commission? So what I'm not saying is, you know, the last 77 years are a waste, and, you know, what good is it because we haven't planted any churches? That's not what I'm saying at all. God has done much good in this place. Some of you have been saved in this church. Uh, Many of you have grown leaps and bounds spiritually in this church. But what I am saying is, is what are we where we ought to be when it comes to what Jesus has called us to do. So let me talk about some of the factors that that lead to where we are because sometimes what we can do is go, well, you know, when we were back in the day, we were 100, 300, 500 and and so today I don't know what's going on and I think there are some some legitimate contributions to that decline in numbers and um, the first is see if I have it here for you. I don't the first is a change in population. In 1970, when our church was at its peak around that time, Royal Oak was out also at its peak in population, 86,000 people compared to 55,000 today. So almost um, a 40% decline there. These neighborhoods used to be packed with people. I remember talking to Gail Zill multiple times. So she grew up on a, on a street where she had 10 kids in her family, I think it was, or maybe 10 people, and then another person across the street had like 11, 15, and there's kids everywhere. And that made sense because following the war, babies were being born like crazy. And what happened to all those babies? They grow up eventually, don't they? Some of them stay, but, but a lot of them leave, don't they? And so you go around some of these cities or some of these houses in our neighborhoods and you're going to find you know, some older people, not a lot of young families. But but so that's one difference that's happened in the last 45 years. I think there's also been a change in culture. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, going to church was the thing to do. In fact, you were, you were weird if you didn't go to some church. It didn't have to be a Baptist church. But if you weren't at church on Sunday, it was kind of weird. And now what happens when you do go to church? Right? What, you're using your Sunday to go to church? I think that's changed. And I think... Also, something that's changed in our kinds of churches is the evangelism methodology. Think about how evangelism happened in 1970. Okay, so if people are coming to church, how do you reach people? You reach them right at church, right? It's pretty easy. I mean, maybe it's not. There's probably a lot of work that goes into getting them here. But, but, but you have these churches. People are just naturally coming. Or when you give them an invitation, they come. The pastor would preach. People would get saved. This was great. This was God's way of reaching people back in the 60s and 70s. 
But again, part of that was because everybody was coming to church, and, and so it was a normal to be a kind of church. And eventually, when you know, when people hear the word of God, amazingly, people get saved. That's the way God designed it. And also back in that day, I think in many churches like ours, independent fundamental Baptist churches, there was an easy believism that was taught. That is, what we want to do is get people to make a decision. And if we can get them to make a decision, then, then we can get them on the hook. And, and based on my understanding of the Scriptures, we can't force anyone to make a decision. We can explain the gospel to them, but we're not salespeople. We can't close the deal. God has to do that. And so life has changed over the last 45 years. People have changed. The build it and they will come mentality doesn't work with this generation of Americans. So those may sound like excuses, but, but I just want to just to be honest with you with regard to some of the contributions to the churches because I hope you recognize it's not just our church that has seen a relative decline in numbers over the last 45 years. Okay. So, I think if we're going to be a church that honors God to its fullest potential, then we need to pursue God's goal. I had that up on the screen. I didn't actually say it, but pursue God's goal. And then I would say pursue God's goal, God's way. So, if, if we're going to be a healthy church and we want to be a church that plants other churches, well then, what are we measured by? What does a healthy church look like? How do we measure success in a church like ours? And as I mentioned last Sunday night, we are stewards of God's resources. In this case, we're stewards of the buildings and the human resources that we have, the assets that we own as a church body. And, and we are stewards of the greatest treasure that we own, which is the gospel the one that's been gifted to us by Christ. And so how is it that stewards are measured? By what? 1 Corinthians 4.2, it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And I think if we just take out man and apply that to the church, I think it, it's completely the same. It's required of us as steward, stewards of what God has given to us that we be found faithful with what God has given to us. So it's not that we are fruitful and that we just have, you know, people just bursting out the, you know, the seams, but but that we are faithful. And what does faithfulness look look like? What would help a healthy church of our size look like? What would a faithful church of our size look like? And I would suggest that if we're going to accomplish God's goal by obeying the great commission and we're going to do it within the boundaries of what God has required, then then we need to reach people for Christ's church and we need to do it according to, or we need to stay within the boundaries of what God has allowed. So, God's goal, set it up there for us. Okay, come to know me more, grow in the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and I would suggest to you, plan a church and then the way that you do that is by staying within the boundaries of what God has required. So don't, go out here and go with all these worldly methods that God would say, no, that's, that's not what I'm calling for. And so let me talk about some commitments with regard to how we reach people. Because frankly, if we're going to become a church that actually plants churches, we need to reach more people. We need to reach people. But here's some of the commitments that I personally have and I think that our church should have with regard to how we reach people. First, see if I have this. 
I don't, so you have to listen. Number one, we will not force anyone to make a decision for Christ. So this is contra what the, the pattern was, I think, in a lot of churches like ours back in the day, that, that we're not salespeople. Instead, we're heralds. We, we, we deny easy believism, which says, you know, we need to compel people to make a decision. We're not sure if they really actually make the decision, but if we can just force them to make the decision, let's say we've got 100 of those people that do it, maybe five or ten of them will actually make the decision. That will be good enough. It's the, it's the throw mud to the wall idea. Eventually, some of it will stick, right? So that's the idea. That go, let's go after people hard with forceful approach and, and force them to make decisions. And I would suggest to you that that is not allowed for us biblically, that we can't force people to, to make decisions. We're actually giving them, in many cases, a false assurance of their own salvation. That because you've made a decision, you now have a relationship with God. But, but what if that decision wasn't based on a real childlike trust in God, full dependence like we talked about this morning? And, and I think we're actually doing more damage than good when we do that. Well, you know, we got the five or ten to actually make a decision. God doesn't need us to, to force them. So that's the first commitment. Second is... We will not solicit members from other God-honoring churches. Okay, we will not solicit members from... I don't have any booths up at any other churches. We could do that, right? We could go and at their conferences. We set up a booth for our church and say, Hey, you, you having trouble over there? We, why don't you come over to our church? So a church like First Baptist of Sterling Heights or First of Troy, we're not going to solicit members from there. We're, we're not going to talk to them and say, Hey, why don't you try out our church? Because I believe that the healthiest place for a Christian to be is in the God-honoring church that they're already a member of. Third, we will turn away disgruntled church members. We will turn away disgruntled church members from other places. Okay. So long as they are disgruntled for... Uh, so long as the, the church is a like-minded church. Okay, so, so Christians who come to our church because they're disgruntled about a former church will be turned away. And I have, just so you know, I have turned people away. There have been people that have come here on a Sunday and, and have come for multiple times and pursued membership and I have turned them away. Because if they can't get along with a like-minded church over a non-critical issue, what makes us think that they'll be able to get along with us? And if the person coming from a like-minded church as far as orthodoxy, if that person is disgruntled over an essential Christian doctrine, then they're not going to be happy here because we agree with them. We have the same Christian doctrine. And, and so, so we're not going to accept disgruntled church members from like-minded churches. Now, some of you might be transplants from other churches and um, you may or may not have come for the right reasons. But what I would suggest to you is the point is we don't, it's not that we don't want you or that, that the correction that you need to make is to go back now. That won't solve the problem. So that's our third commitment. Fourth commitment is we will turn away Christians who leave the church in the wrong manner. So let's say they're not disgruntled, but the way that they handle their leaving from the other church is wrong. Even if it's a church that's not like ours. So let's take 
Central Oaks down the street. Okay, we don't agree with them doctrinally on salvation. As far as I understand, they are free will that uh, free will Baptists, which is um, that they believe that you can lose your salvation. And we very clearly, in our doctrinal statement, uh, affirm what the scriptures teach on that, which is that that you can never lose your salvation. So if someone were to come from there, but we're doing it in the wrong manner, then we would not accept them in our church. And part of the reason for these strong convictions, you might be saying, you know, we put up all these guardrails and we, no wonder, right? But part of the reason for these strong convictions is so that we can dry up the market of people who think it's okay to hop around from church to church because the best place for us to be is in one place for a long time so that people can get to know us and that we can get to know them. And the problem for us, I think, is in our American mindset is that when we bounce around from one place to the next, we make it hard for people to get close to us and to help us to see our blind spots. And you know, as far as spiritual growth is concerned, we, we, that, that is not humility. Because humility requires vulnerability, which means that you need to, to get close enough to a person so that they can know you. And that's why we encourage to be in a place for a long time. And so here's what I do every time a person or a family attends our church from another like-minded church. After two visits, I contact the pastor of that church. And the purpose of my contacting their pastor is to let them know that a member from their church is visiting ours. And, and I then ask if he'd like me to, what he would like me to do with that member. Would you like me to send them back? I mean, have they not settled their issue with you? And if he does, then that's exactly what I tell them. You need to go back and resolve the issue that you didn't resolve when you left your church. And I also let the pastor know that I'm not interested in, in encouraging disgruntled members to run away from their problems. And you know, this is exactly what we would love for other churches to do to us, right? When we have someone who's starting to, to head off path, what, what can tend to happen is we just kind of, they kind of disappear off to another church. And you know what the other church is doing? They're kind of struggling a little bit maybe. And they want to see their church grow numerically. And so they're happy to just suck them in. And what they've done to that is they've just encouraged a church hopping type of mentality where every two or three years they get frustrated with something that's going on in church. They can't handle you know, the leadership of the church or something and they're, they're on to another place. You see, as a member, our church is responsible to watch over your soul. And, and so when there's a problem that's not being addressed, the way you handle it is not by going somewhere else. Now, there, there's some legitimate reasons to transfer from churches, and so I, I don't want to just say, you know, everyone who's ever transferred from a church is, is ungodly and, and we're not mature. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are legitimate reasons to leave a church, and, and I want to be careful for our members that, that we as a church keep their best interests in mind, that sometimes God does lead people to other places, and so when that's the case, I think we should, as a church, happily encourage that member to make a transfer. But, but here's, here's how it should work. This is what I'm 
suggesting, that, that the process of transferring from one like-minded church to another like-minded church, whether from there to here or here to there, should always include a conversation with both churches. And, and I think part of the problem for us as members is that we have seen bad examples with pastors, haven't we? That, that pastors have the same responsibility when it comes to committing themselves to a church, and yet you probably have heard pastors say in other churches or maybe in this one that, you know, the Lord led me to another place. And the church is kind of sitting there like, he led you and, and he never talked to us about it. The church is like, so, so what are we, like chopped meat here? You know, we, we, we don't even have... A, any involvement in the process? You just decide that God has led you to another place even though we think that your ministry is still valuable and we still want you here? So what's happened is, is pastors have set a bad example. Some others you know, are called to be missionaries. And I think God does call some pastors to other churches and some pastors to be missionaries. But, but I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have a huge problem with pastors who say, the Lord was leading me when they didn't involve the congregation. They simply told them what they were going to do. And so my commitment to you is that when it's time for me to go, that you will talk to me or I will talk to you, we will be talking. That's what it's going to look like. That's why when I get up here and I start with kind of a ambiguous statement, you don't have to fear that I'm on my way out. Okay? Because if that's going to be the case there's going to be some conversation with you and me before that happens. I'm going to seek your advice and make sure that what I'm doing is consistent with your understanding of my situation and your understanding of how God leads. And I think that's how the Spirit works. He, work, he works through believers who, who have a responsibility to help care for my soul. So, so for us as Members, we have to be careful about kind of following the bad patterns that have been set up for us by, by pastors who I think in some cases, maybe we don't want to just throw everybody under the bus, but, but in some cases left for the wrong reasons. And I think, you know, we, we in our consumeristic type culture are quick to say, well, you know, this one has these features and this one has these features and these people aren't singing the songs that I want and they're not doing... The, the programs that I want and the preaching's not as good as I want and so see ya. So, so I think we got to be careful about that and that's why I think we as a church should be committed to, to guarding the front door of the church and not seeking to make um, false conversions just in order to have someone um, make that, that statement. Alright, I need to keep moving here. A little bit more to go here before we're finished. So, pursue God's goal, God's way, and I would suggest by, uh, well, I guess I have one more before that, which is what we should be encouraged about is Romans 1, 16 and 17, that there will be some challenges, but the, the same gospel that the, the apostles had is the same gospel that we have. And so this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to whom? Everyone who believes. So that's the tool that God's given to us. That's the great resource that we have to go out and reach people and get this church full of people who love God. 
We have the gospel. And that gospel is powerful. And God promises that anyone who accepts that gospel will not be turned away. It was the same gospel that turned you from being a child of Satan to a child of God. It turned you from being a a member of the kingdom of darkness into a member of the kingdom of light. Transferred you into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. This is the message that is foolishness to those who are perishing and the same message that is wisdom to those who are being saved. It's the gospel that has been entrusted to us to a lost and dying world and that we use to call them to salvation. So where do we go from here? Well, we pursue God's goal, God's way, and we do it by taking risks for God's glory. So, how do we get there? If, if our goal, if, if you agree with me that the Scriptures call us as a church to plant churches, then how do we get there? Because, frankly, we can't just take a couple leaders from our church right now and a couple families, maybe several families, and, and a load of money and send them on their way and, and plant a church over in Oak Park or something. We can't do that right now, can we? So how do we get there? How do we get to that place? And you know, I, I don't know all the steps to get there. How to get a church from 40 members to a church that's large enough to send out members and financially start a work in our area. But honestly, I, um, isn't that the way big projects work? That you don't know all the steps. You know what the end goal ought to be, but you just don't know how you're going to get there. So what do you do? You start with the steps you know, right? Take the first step. Okay? First thing I need to do, I need to make a list. What is the next thing I need to do? You start taking the first couple steps, and then it's amazing. What happens is the next steps after that become clear. And so I know what the first couple of steps is, are. I don't know what the, all the steps are, but I know the first couple of steps, and that is that we reach people with the gospel without compromising the fundamentals of the faith. So how do we do that? How do we reach people, teach them everything Christ has commanded us, and seek to plant a church in the surrounding area? I think it starts with each one of us. Okay, this, this great commission has been given to us as a church, but we don't have to have a church activity to reach people. And so some of you are doing this very well, and I would just encourage you to continue it and even expand on what you're doing. But let me ask you individually, what do you need to do in order to take the first step? So your responsibility as part of this church is to reach people in your networks, in your circles of relationships, of unbelievers you already know. So what kind of steps do you need to take? Maybe the first step for you is to make a list. Who are the unbelievers that I see every week? Who are they? Start writing them down. Then the next step might be, I'm going to commit these people to prayer. And I'm going to pray for them daily by name. Maybe it's to read a book on evangelism. Maybe it's to read through the Gospels. But the point is is that each one of us have a responsibility to share the Gospel with an aim toward conversion. So how long is this all going to take? How long is this process going to take before we actually get to the final goal? And the answer is I don't know. But I know that our process begins with a recognition that we need to get on track as a congregation and we need to start taking steps toward the goal. So, so would you start with me by just praying for yourself, for me, for other members in this church as, as we become more pleasing to God and as we work to advance the gospel. Pray that we would be an example to other believers because the Word of God has... We want to see the Word of God sound forth from us in Royal Oak and in the surrounding cities. 
And not only there, but in every place where the faith, our faith is heard about. And, and ultimately it's not about us. So that, wow, what a great church Ambassador Baptist Church is. Do you know some of those people? No, it's so that people can look and see what a great thing that God is doing. We are doing this for the sake of God's glory. So, we need to take risks. We're going to do this. We need to take risks, which include um, us just carefully planning and dependently praying. And uh, I mentioned in a sermon on Psalm Psalm 20 uh, several weeks ago that I think this is the way that, that God accomplishes His work. That as we see what our goal is, we take steps to plan to get to that goal while depending on God to get there. So I use the soccer analogy that, um, you know, if you're a soccer player and you're standing at midfield with the ball and you have to get to the goal, your goal is to get the ball into the, the opponent's net, then you need to carefully plan to get there. How am I going to do that? How am I going to include the resources that I have, the information that I've received from my coach, the, the, the teammates that I have, how am I going to get around the obstacles in order to get to that goal? And, and all the while depending on God to do this. For David, you know, he couldn't just go out and stand before Goliath and think, you know, what could I do here? How could I actually win this battle? He had to go with a careful plan, didn't he? So what did he do? Help me out, kids. What did David do in order to win the battle against Goliath? What did he use? What did he bring for a weapon? Five stones, didn't he? He brought some stones so that he could say, listen, this is how, perhaps how God will bring the victory. And yet, he relied on God, didn't he? He said, this battle is the Lord's, and you defy the, the army of the living God, and you defy God. And the same was true for every one of David's battle. That he didn't go out there empty-handed. He, he went with the plan, but he also depended on God. Because we can plan our ways, but the Lord is the one who directs our steps, right? We can... Sometimes we can overly plan things and just leave God out of it. And, and we need to do some careful uh, planning and then depend on God. So, you have the goal in front of you. Okay, the bigger goal, I think, for our church is to, to reach that goal. What, you know, is, is the pathway open towards the goal? Then, then start, start taking some risks and, and head towards that goal and see if God's in it. Right? The, the smaller goal, maybe for you, is to, you know, I need to be better about reaching people for the sake of Christ. So what do I need to do in order to improve in that, in that way? Within the boundaries of what God has called me to do, right? I can't take the ball out of bounds in order to get to the goal. I need to stay within the boundaries of what God has called me to do. And within those boundaries, I can do whatever is there, right? Whatever's within the rules... And I'm going to make my way towards that goal and see if God's in it. You know what? If I score a goal, all praise to God. But I think too many times we sit at the midfield picking clovers and wonder why God's not doing anything, right? Like, God, we haven't scored any goals this game. And I think God might be thinking, you know, I've given you the resources that you need to make your way to the goal. So, so get up and, and use those resources and go. And, and, you know, we have at our disposal the power of Christ. You know, Jesus, when he gave us that great commission as a church, 
Right before that, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And so you go, and your little slice of earth that I've put you in, you know, I have authority over that little slice of earth. And so I can bring to salvation whom I will. But you are not going to just stand there in order to see that done. Now, amazingly, God could do that, couldn't He? God could do a great work in this area that had nothing to do with us, and we would stand back and say, what a great God. But you know what God generally uses in our dispensation? He generally uses means to accomplish the ends that He's called us to. The means are that we need to get up and, and, and reach people for the sake of Christ with a view towards conversion. And we have Christ. We have Christ's power at our disposal. And I think we have this power is, is just such, such in great supply. You know, uh, Paul said that that I have given that God will give us an abundance for every good deed. And and Paul, in another place, prayed. You know, I pray that believers will have every good work that they pray for that that, that it will come true. And so I think that's a healthy prayer to just pray, listen, I pray that, that every desire that, that other believers in this church and that I have towards good, I pray that it would come true. And, and we sometimes don't have, because we're simply either not seeing the goal, we're too complacent, or we're just not depending on God. We don't have because we don't ask. And so what, what could God do in our place with these people and, and prayerfully with many more to, to reach other areas for the sake of the gospel. It seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? But, but is anything too hard for the Lord? So let's work as a church and pray toward that end that God would raise up people through our relationships um, that would be saved and added to the church and growing in Christ and so that we could be a church that that is pleasing to God in the highest way. Not that God is not pleased with us in any way, but 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 there is some room for improvement for us, isn't there? And so what what could God do through us if we make some careful plans and, and depend on Him through prayer? Let's pray. Father, I pray that that you would forgive me for for squelching perhaps some of the desire and the flames for for growth and I pray that you would um, overcome my inconsistencies over the years and and work for the sake of your glory in this church and stir up within us a desire to see you work in a great way Lord why would we be so uncertain that, that, that you would want to work here. We, we sometimes think because of our size that maybe you're saving all your good and powerful works for other places, but, but Lord, I think you can and, and will do much good in this place. And so I pray that you would continue to use us and, and use these people here for the sake of your glory, for the sake of building your church, and help us never to become complacent with our own spiritual growth or with our growth as a church and, and help us to contribute to the body with the, the spiritual gifts that you've supplied so that 
we will be like a, a healthy body which which has every joint supplying to it. No no part is more important than the other. Some may be more visible than others, but but each part is is important and and we need to give to the body what what um, you have gifted us and, and given us the responsibility to do. Lord, we can't all be a nose. We can't all be an ear or an eye. We each have our own responsibilities. And so help us to find out what it is that you are calling us to do and to do it for the sake of your good, for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.